a really hard week is in between 30 and 35 hours of training. That's a lot. Uh, need to, to, to feel happy, to feel good. I, I need to do sport, I need to train. To show that determination and not to be beaten down, that, that's quite incredible. If you don't believe it, you, you will never uh, achieve it. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. I hope you managed to listen to our last episode with Mike Warden and supported by our series sponsor, Compre Sport. Mike is a great ambassador for the brand as his passion for pushing performance from fast 5Ks on the road to big multi-day mountain races is pretty unique. And that kind of passion for the sport is very much the way the whole design and development team works at Compre Sport too. I hope you all showed Mike some love on social media so that we can have him back on again to dig deeper than the results and the motivations. This week we have the opportunity to do something different again. We've said from the very start that this is about personal development and trying to connect with people on their own endurance journeys. For James and I personally, running is the tool that allows us to continually question ourselves and to find ways that help us to make progress on a much more profound level than the sport itself. So we're delighted to get the chance to speak to Frederick van Leerde. Frederick is a triathlete. He was born and raised in Menin, West Flanders in Belgium. He has had an incredible career in one of the toughest sports on the planet. He competes in triathlon and has done for over half of his life. He started at the age of 17, showing huge potential very early on with a silver in the under-23 European Triathlon Championships. This was only a stepping stone for Frederick though and in 2013 he took the most prestigious victory in the sport and became the Ironman World Champion in Kona, Hawaii. He didn't exactly let it go there either and last year he gave himself the best 40th birthday present ever in claiming the Ironman Lanzarote title on his day. So you can understand why we are so excited to speak to such an endurance legend like Frederick. So without further ado, here is the next episode of the Pylon Ultra Pod with Compre Sport. This should be a great episode. So here's James and I talking to the brilliant Belgian Frederick van Leerde. Hi James, loved the conversation we had with Mike last week. His passion for the sport is contagious, I think. Is there anything that particularly stood out for you but has maybe changed the way you think about things or anything that you'll do differently in the future? I think the word you use there, Paul, passion. Passion and and the, the way he just enjoys and loves what he does um, stood out for me more than anything else. And it really sparked in me a bit of... Um, to be a wee bit bolder and maybe do more because often I'm, I'm a bit like yourself I'll focus on certain races and train for them but um, he's really got me thinking about some of the adventures we can have whilst there are no races to be doing so I really really loved he's, it he's definitely an energetic and enthusiastic guy and it's quite infectious which is great Anyway, shall we crack on and introduce the main attraction this week, a legend in the world of triathlon, Mr. Frederick Van Leerd. Hi, Frederick. Thanks so much for agreeing to give up some time and talk to us about your passion. It's a real honour for us. How are you? Where are you? And have you been training today? <laughs> Hello. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me. So it's, a, it's an honour for me as well to, uh, to be part of the show. Um, as for today, I uh, had a... Uh, 
let's say an easy day for a triathlete. I had a four kilometer swim in the morning, and now I just <laughs> fin- finished a, a twelve kilometer easy run. So it was was quite an easy day for me. <laughs> nice one. I think we want to get into some of that. Just um, I'm I'm astonished at the volume of training that triathletes can can handle. I think it's quite incredible. But I'd like to maybe talk more about that as we get into the conversation. So before all that, and before we talk about some of the recent things that you've been up to, um and all the changes that have been pushed on all of us uh, during 2020. It'd be good for us to go back to where this all started for you. And I think that goes right back to 1997. And you've been competing now for well over 20 years. Um, I know you have talked about this all before, but it'd be useful for us and our audience, um, considering a lot of our audience will be endurance runners, uh, maybe just to hear about how and where this passion all began for you. Yeah, for sure. So, um... Yeah, I, I learned swimming at the age of uh, seven, like most of the kids here and uh, in most of the kids, I think. So, uh, and then afterwards, I got into competition from uh, my nine years. So, and uh, at the age of 13, I, yeah, I had some good performances and I decided to, to leave school here and to join another school a little bit further away, like uh, 15 kilometers further away from my home. To be able to yeah. swim twice, to be able to swim twice a day. So you see, and even okay. at that age, I was ambitious, and I wanted to get better, <laughs> better and better. I changed school, yeah. and and uh, yeah, so I was able to swim twice a day. So and um, in fact, from the age of fourteen till I was seventeen, I was yeah, let's say a, a full time swimmer because the only thing I did next to school was going to swim, and and I swam around let's say forty to fifty kilometers per week at that age. So um, that was quite intensive, but um, yeah. yeah. On the on the other hand, I didn't have have uh, the results I wanted. I was always like top ten in Belgium, or sometimes a top five in in some of uh, some of the competitions, but nothing like big wins or something. So um, and next to that, I my dad he's a he's a marathon runner, or he was a marathon runner. His best yeah. time was was two forty, so he was quite nice. a good runner. Yeah, and uh, some, sometimes I joined them at like running competitions. So, um, and I was actually quite good at it just because of my, yeah, my swim um, fitness, let's say. So I didn't yeah. train a lot for the run, but next to, next to the swimming, I was quite good at running. So, um, yeah, well, at the age of 17, it was my compatriot, Luke van Lierde, who won Hawaii. And in fact, that was the, the, yeah, the little thing for me or the, the big thing for me. In fact, to to start triathlon because I was thinking, yeah, I'm I'm quite a good swimmer. I can run. If I just ask for a bike to my to my parents, it will be possible to to compete in triathlons. Yeah. And so it started. Uh, um, I started doing triathlon and was was quite interesting because at the age of 17, there's quite a yeah, let's say a dropout from from people in swimming who get bored and uh, yeah, they yeah. have to make decisions in school and so on. So for me, it was the perfect age to to change sport, and I was quite successful from the beginning. That was an extra thing that that kept me motivated, and uh, that's that's the reason why I kept on going. Yeah, I guess that early swimming background was really crucial for you because it's quite a hard one to take on later on. I think if you don't have that from such a young age, probably. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, for most of the triathletes that come in later and don't have a swimming background. They are able to to put the the kilometers of swimming in, but there's always yeah. that little thing that is technique. And in swimming, technique is so important. Uh, you can you can swim yeah. as much as you want, but if you don't catch the water 
like you should. Uh, of course, everybody swims different, but you need a certain level of uh, technique to be able to follow uh, the best one. So, uh, and that's crucial. That's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And at what age? What age were you aware of Hawaii and Kona and that whole story around it? Quite early on. <laughs> Yeah, at the age of 17, when Luke van Leerde, yeah. my, uh, my coach now, he won Hawaii. It was all over the place. Of, of course, in Belgium, it was a big story. And uh, yeah. the, the, the other thing next to the fact that he was my compatriot, he also has the same name. So he's, he's no family, he's nothing. But, um, he's not, is he not? No, 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 not at all. But we have the same name. So he's van Leerde, I'm van Leerde. So you can imagine when I, when I started triathlon, uh, <laughs> all, all the questions that... Uh, at the registration table, we're always like, are you the son? Or are you the yeah. nephew? Are you whatever? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so triathlon itself is a it's a relatively new sport, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. And I would argue that some see it as the pinnacle of endurance just because you obviously have to build a body and mind that can not only survive across the disciplines, but compete as if they were individual races. And I think it was Chris McCormick who said, it's the physical brutality of climbing Mount Everest without the great view from the top of the world. What kind <laughs> of person keeps coming back for more of that? Uh, <laughs> now, I've worked I've worked with a few triathletes from a coaching perspective who've turned to ultra running. So I wasn't involved in their triathlon coaching at all. But when I look back and I start to go deep into their training history, you realise just how demanding a sport it is. How do you think mm -hmm. you've been able to work so hard for so long and clearly maintain such a high level of enthusiasm and passion for the grind of training? Because it's not it's not easy to get up every day and, and do what you do. No, 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 not at all. But I think the the main thing is just you 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 love the sport. It's like you say, it's a passion. It's something you, in fact, uh, need to 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 feel happy, to feel good. I I need to do sport. I need to train. And the other thing is, if you're ambitious, you you always chase like wins are, are good good performances and that's that's what what kept me going and on the other hand i think triathlon is a, is a hard sport of course but um let's say it's three sports and you you um yeah you put you put the pressure on in the three different disciplines so i think like ultra running if i look at it my dad did once a 100 kilometer here in the in flanders yeah and i think that's that's even harder because it's just on the same muscles the whole time and uh yeah. I don't know. I think in in some way triathlon is um yeah not easier, but I think uh, more supportable for the for the joints for the muscles. So it's different, you know. But uh, you need to be able to combine the three, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's such a demanding sport, though. <laughs> Frederick, I was um, looking up your career and and doing some research ahead of this this podcast today, um, and it is incredible the amount of things that you've done, the things that you've achieved. Um, and all we know it's been long and successful. But I, I was curious as to whether, is there, has there ever been a moment in training, racing, or even in your life that shaped you as an athlete and that, that you feel took you to that next level because some of your results are incredible? Was there, was there a moment you can look back on and say, that's when I knew? Oh, <laughs> yeah, in fact, in, in, when I look back now at my career when I was younger, in triathlon, I tried to qualify for the Olympics on short distance, but over there you have to be able to run like a 10 kilometer really fast. And um, I was able to run like 31 minutes, 30 seconds, 32 minutes, 32 minutes, 30. So that's that's okay, but that's not the, the world-class level. So I only discovered, let's say, 
that uh, I was a lot better on longer distance when I started Ironman distance in 2008. So that's that's 12 years ago now. Um, I mm. was I was second in a big competition immediately. So I knew that long distance, like uh, yeah, that's a performance of eight hours and more, uh, suited me a lot more. And that was again like uh, an important fact in in the in my career that I realized only at the age of uh, 29 that my best distance was the long distance. So you see, in, in, in my career, you discover a couple of things that, yeah, that motivate you again to, to, to chase new goals, to, to chase new big victories. And I think that's, that's really important to, to always keep on discovering what you're good at and yeah, find new things. And, and that's, that's something that, uh, that was really helpful in my career to keep on going. And that's that's very similar to a lot of ultra runners who who may be quite fast marathoners, you know, two thirty, two twenty marathoners, but can't make that next stage at that level. But then find the hundred k distance or the you know the hundred mile distance quite appealing. So there, there's a definite parallel between yeah, the two yeah, sports yeah. there. I think there's a fear sometimes, Frederick, though that it happens in ultra running quite a bit that you might you might realize you're good at like the 100 mile races so you're good at the endurance part you know races that are 18 to 24 hours or something and then people get stuck in that but you you seem to still race some shorter distance stuff as well is that really just to keep yourself sharp for the longer stuff or do do you enjoy the shorter events too yeah exactly i i always combine with a, a couple of halves during the season and that's just to be yeah, to be able to keep the same level because I um, I see or I feel when I when I um, don't hurt myself myself too much on shorter things, then then you get slower, of course, on the longer ones. So uh, it's more uh, in function of being still uh, uh, competitive at the highest level for long distance that I that I um, yeah do some shorter ones uh, before that or in the preparation. So I think that's. That's quite obvious. So uh, I think every ultra runner does the same thing to, yeah, to keep his uh, sharpness to to be still a little bit of uh, to do still a little bit of uh, speed work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we would absolutely encourage people to keep those those fast gears um, ticking over with some short yeah. stuff. And I noticed them, um, Frederick, on your website. Your 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 target in training. And I put this in inverted commas properly for a marathon and doing it outside of an Ironman. I think that'd be really interesting to see how you got on with that. <laughs> yeah, you know that's something. Uh, do you do you have a marathon in mind that you want to target? Um, yeah, I have. In fact, I had a marathon in mind because of uh, COVID. Now I will have to change my plans. But originally in 2020, I would end my uh, my career in uh, the marathon of Nice Cannes. And that's always yeah. um, the first weekend, I guess, of November. But now the, the Ironman of Nice is, um, is not in June, but in October. So for me, it will be too close to, to be, yeah, I, I want to yeah. set a good time, of course. So uh, yeah. I, I will need to take a little bit more of a recovery time in between. So maybe I'm, I'm looking for a marathon in December. Not sure, but everything will, of course, depend on how... Uh, how it goes with the coronavirus and and so on. So we'll see, but definitely I will I will try to do one and see what I'm able to do because now in Ironman I think I I ran 30 or 31 marathons, but all of them are in an Ironman, and my yeah. best time <laughs> my best time is 2:42. <laughs> Two times I did that in Nice and in Melbourne. So I want to go faster of uh, of 2:42, of course. Yeah, definitely. I mean. 
not having had that swim and bike ride before it, I think we I think we can be certain there's a good time waiting to be yeah. to be got there. <laughs> um, and and actually you, you mentioned COVID and that, that brings me on to a, a question I had. So as athletes we've we all have to deal with ups and downs of training or even just life. Um and a lot of it's manageable. You know, people get injured, they take time off, they rebuild, we recover and we go again. But other things in life like COVID affect what we can do now and how we go into train and race. Again, doing some research ahead of this, you've had some really tough moments as well as some great successes. Um, and, you know, you you might not want to talk about some of those moments, <laughs> um, but South Africa 2017 springs to mind. How do those events affect you or your ability to continue to push yourself? How do you deal with those those challenges? Well, you know, the thing is, um, I always say to myself, the longer you stay in a sport or the longer you stay in a certain domain, the more things that can happen, of course. Um, so... Uh, I, I had some some good victories, but next to that, um, I also lost a lot of races. I mean, losing like getting second, third, fourth, something. And then, of course, uh, you mentioned like South Africa 2017, uh, like four people attacked me there like one week before the race. Um, that's, that's, just a ma- that's just a matter of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So it, it could yeah. have been anyone, but it was me at that time. So... Uh, you know, I dealt with it. Uh, I continued and I still um, wanted to compete in that Ironman. I guess I got seventh in the end, but it was not the, the performance I was there for. Of course, I was there to win that race. But um, yeah, the, the things that happened like eight days before the race didn't help me, of course. And the, the, the weeks and months after that, Frederick, did it, did it take some time to get over that? I mean, it's, it's a horrible thing to yeah. happen to anyone. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, especially mentally, because uh, physically, I had a whiplash. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was not that bad. But mentally, it was not easy to deal with. And um, yeah, let's say I was a little bit scared to to go on the road by myself and so on. So uh, it took me a couple of weeks to to get over it and, and to refocus on the next race. I'm guessing you must have been really proud of how you performed in that race on the back of that um that attack mm-hmm. though even you know not the result you wanted but actually to show that determination and not to be beaten down that that's quite incredible yeah it is and that's that's also the thing i wanted to show to everyone because um of course when i was attacked i didn't want to make uh, a big news of it because yeah journalists call you then then the police is there to in to to ask you a couple of questions and so on so i told everyone leave me alone i want to to deal with it with this uh myself and and i want to race so just to show you uh as an athlete you you're there because you you trained for months for one goal and then you mm. you don't want to uh let go just because something happened you didn't uh yeah you, you didn't, um, I'm, I'm looking for the word now, but you didn't want to happen. So, um, I mean, as an athlete, you're, you're so into one goal and you just want to go for it and everything has to, has to step aside. Yeah. And did it, did it change the decisions later on in your career about where you chose to race or traveling less or being closer to home or anything? Yeah, maybe a little bit because like there in South Africa, what happened is of course something that, that not happens. It doesn't happen that much there but if it happens it's it's mostly over there so uh, that's the reason why i did decide decide to not go back there because of that bad yeah. uh, thing that happened to me but on the other hand it didn't influence me on uh, riding by myself or 
going to different countries no not at all no you, you just have to deal with it give it a place and and go on yeah yeah it's amazing to hear frederick it's a it's a tough thing to get over i'm not sure i would get over it so quickly but um that's fantastic to hear now you've obviously raced on the biggest stage possible in the sport at kona you've won there i don't know how many times you've raced at kona at least probably eight <laughs> times or something um, 11, it must 11. be the most 11 was it it must <laughs> be the most incredible place to to run in leading that and finishing in first place uh, but what i find astonishing about an event like that is not necessarily how long or grueling the stages are certainly compared to what ultra runners do so let's say in a hundred mile mountain race with 10,000 meters of ascent you're maybe out there for 22 to 25 hours compared to around the eight hour mark as you said already and a Kona I think last year was 7.51 winning time maybe uh, yeah, but exactly. it's, the le- it, it's the level of intensity you are maintaining for that extended period and it's quite hard for us to get our head around that it's like us trying to run at some kind of true tempo pace for eight hours and it's not like you even get to rest in transitions like we get a bit of a break when we go into an aid station and we can maybe switch off for a minute or two you don't have that opportunity are there mm-hmm. any easier periods at all in races and or places where you feel most in control or that you're suffering less where where, where were you your strongest really well it's it's hard to say because um i'm in the sport for quite a long time and I also yeah. see the the evolution uh, right now. Um, it's I I can I can feel the level in the last five years, the last ten years has gone up quite uh, fast. Um, I can yeah. I can assure you, like my my first Ironmans I did once you were on the bike, and especially in the beginning, everybody was looking for a space. There were a uh-huh. couple of guys who wanted to push hard from the beginning, but if you were smart, you just waited and took your time. And let's say you were not easy but comfortable in your performance. Yeah. But now, but now the last couple of years, it's really um, from the start, it's going hard. And and on the bike, same thing. When you're not with with the uh, with the best guys, uh, forget about winning that race. So it, it's really gotten uh, harder, faster. And yeah, like in in my whole career, I only went three times under the eight hour mark. And uh, the, those yeah. three times were in, in my last two seasons. So you see, the the courses stay the same, but wow. uh, everything goes faster and faster now. Do you think that will mean ultimately that people won't be in the sport for so long? Like like the amazing career that you've had, that the pressure is so great and the speed. It's the same in ultra running, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Like UTMB is probably our, our Kona effectively and it used to be that you could you know look after yourself for the first 50 miles and you're not pushing too hard and you still mm-hmm. had a very good chance of, of being near the front but nowadays it's it's all out from the start really and people are just going it's like do or die now almost is the attitude with people and i wonder if that'll have a <laughs> an, an, an impact on the athletes longer term maybe yeah i i think you described it quite right there and uh there and um I would say, yeah, we'll we'll see what the future brings. If if those athletes can can still uh, stay as long on the top as 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 we did, but um, I think it will affect uh, the time they they stay at the top. Yeah, for sure, because it's it's not possible to um, let's say save some energy or or be smart. Let's say in in your performance, yeah. no, it's it's all out. And uh, if you blow up, you blow up. And if you don't blow up, well, maybe you will win. So that's. That's mostly how it goes now. Yeah, it's an extreme way to race, Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It go is. back or go home. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Last year, you decided not to race at the World Champs again. Did you 
did you feel pressure that you must be there and how did it feel when the event was happening and you weren't there for for that time because you'd been there so many years before mm-hmm. well it's it's different of course when you want it so um I, uh, yeah. I I chased that win for a long time, so I had to compete six times before I won it. And the year before, when I was third in 2012, that was, in fact, the first year or the first time I believed I could win that event. So the years before, my first um, experience in Hawaii was a DNF. Then my second time was like 42nd or something. So I really had to... Um, yeah, built my um, my experience there, and it took me six times to finally win it. And then when you when you won it, you, of course you want to uh, yeah to win it again, or at least show the people that it was not a coincidence. So uh, and and yourself yeah. of course too. And then the years after, I I got two times top ten with an eighth place and a tenth place. But in the same time, the, I had two years with a blue card and with 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 a five minute penalty and so on. So did the things didn't go as as planned and uh, that's yeah. why in 2019 i decided yeah i i don't have to prove anything there i i want it so there's a lot of athletes who, who still want to win it and still chasing it to win it i want it so I, I don't have nothing to prove and in fact i i closed that chapter and i just want to uh yeah look for other victories and and maybe uh add some more wins to my career and that's it you know i don't have to chase another one in in hawaii again yeah that's a great attitude frederick definitely and frederick i'd be interested to hear a bit about training um so we coach a lot of ultra running athletes and some some guys do pretty big weeks in training you know they'll run 100 100 miles plus um and and the big weeks in training um but that's that's a focus on running only mm-hmm. um and it's single sport focus so there's a hard there's a hard limit because obviously more training actually can become uh, destructive rather than productive for the runners. What I'd be interested to hear um, from your point of view, say leading up to a big event like Kona, what's the average peak week? You know that big week of training. What does that look like? And how many hours are you spending training? And what's the breakdown between the the sessions? Like you know hard, easy, and the different disciplines. Yeah. I think it, it, it just just to give people an idea of what this this incredible sport entails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the thing is, and as I told in the beginning, triathlon isn't uh, is is not that hard on the muscles. I think because when you look in percentage to the time you spent in training to the three disciplines, I can say thirty mm-hmm. percent of my time is in the water, fifty percent yeah. of my time is on the bike, and only twenty percent okay. is on is on the run. So let's say in, in a really hard week is in between 30 and 35 hours of training. That's a lot. But then you do insane. like, yeah, then you do like 30 kilometers of swimming. Then you do like, yeah, let's say 600, 700, maybe sometimes 800 kilometer on the bike in that week. And you run like 80 or 90. So 80 or 90 kilometer for an ultra runner in one week, that's that's not a lot, but Combined with the other ones, it's it's still yeah a good volume for one week. But I mean, for in in terms of um, yeah injuries and so on, it's it's relatively good because you can build a lot of endurance on the bike and in the pool. So uh, it's it's different to uh, ultra runners who have to build almost everything uh, on the run. And and I guess if you if you have like a, an injury or something you're you're protecting, you can switch disciplines and just do a wee bit more and say a bit more swimming and a bit less exactly. running. Should you should you yeah. have to? 
Yeah, which I guess ultra runners can't no. do. Um, and uh, and what what's quite cool, Frederick, is I can't actually swim. So you you actually your swim this morning was longer than I've ever done in my life. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm on the back of a hundred and sixty kilometer weeks running, and that's about maybe twelve to fourteen hours of of yeah. time. To think that you're doing thirty five hours in a peak week is just insane. Um. Yeah, that's incredibly impressive and also gives people an idea of just what um, dedication yeah. it takes to get to the top end of this sport. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end, again, again, I think if you would let me run like 160k a week, I would I would suffer uh, with that because it's all the same discipline and it's really hard on your muscles and joints. For me, like the swim, in fact, um, it's it's yeah, it's easy. And then the, everybody knows on a bike, it's just, you don't have the, the shocks you, you have every time when you run. Every time you hit the ground on the run, it's it's yeah. a little bit of, um, yeah, let's say damage to, to the muscles and to the joints. And that's something you don't have on the swim and don't have on the bike. So, I mean, it's, it might seem a lot, but in the end, it's it's quite doable. Yeah, and we, we, we both act, encourage our, our athletes to do some active recovery where they'll they'll switch discipline just to use those different yeah. muscles. Um and for some for some it's really, really useful, but it's it, we, we have to guard against it just being about volume. Um Frederick, we, we've talked, this is our, our second series of the pod, and on the podcast we focus a lot on mindset. How to get the best out of yourself through, you know, the the, the, the space between your ears. Mm-hmm. Um and also how you can work towards ambitious goals. So you obviously can train really, really hard physically. Um, and um, what would you say have been the biggest learnings from your training that maybe of use to some people in the sport or runners, which they could benefit from, both from your physical adaptation, but also the mindset as well? Well, I uh, work with a mental coach since 2007. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm mentally, I'm, I'm quite strong. But still, I, I, I worked with a mental coach uh, since 13 years now just to, to get my, my mental game for the race really, yeah, really strong. So, um, in fact, uh, it's a female and I see her like six, seven times a year. And we always discuss a couple of weeks before the race what is going on in, in my mind, what the competition is like, how I will try to, um, yeah, get into the race things that can happen things yeah of course there's always things that happen that you didn't uh, you didn't know that were going to happen so all those kind of things we talk through and that's really useful for me so uh, even though if you're mentally a strong guy or a, a female athlete it's it's still important to prepare mentally for a race because it's uh it's gonna be hard there's going to be things that happen you didn't uh you didn't know they were going to happen, so there's always something. And um, I think just the mental preparation for a for a big goal, for a big race, is is as important as the physical preparation. Yeah, and is is some of that some visualization work, Frederick, in terms of you thinking ahead to how good you're going to feel when you're in certain uh, sections of the race or anything? Yeah, things like that. You know, there's plenty of things. I I remember when I um started to race in 2013 in Hawaii when I when I won it uh, after the race uh, I in my helmet I had like a little text like I'm the Ironman world champion 2013 <laughs> and and that was something that I <laughs> that I told myself the last month before the race just to yeah. to let to let my mind believe that I could yeah. win it and, and that I would win it because 
if you don't believe it, you you will never uh, achieve it. So I think that's really important just to, yeah, to let your mind believe you can do it. Otherwise, at some point, it will stop you from, from winning or from putting a, a huge performance. So that's that's a part of it. Then visualizing, of course, when, when you race again in races you did before, it's a lot easier to visualize a couple of things before the race. Um, other things like when you, when you have like in your head, bad thoughts, I, I name them like, uh, for example, you jump on the bike and you feel like, oh no, today I don't have the legs. That's, yeah. that's a thought that won't help you. So you have to block those things and think about other things or positive things. So all those kind of mental tricks that help you through, uh, the eight hours for us. Yeah. I love I love that stuff you talked about with the belief, Frederick. Um I think it's really important because <laughs> people will, people people have talked to us though and they'll say, Well, it's not it's not about faking it until you're making it. You have that belief because you've put the training in and you've put the work in and you've got up, you know, and you've done sessions three times a day or whatever you're doing. Um yeah. so it's not just like it's I, I just want to win the world championships. It's you've got the belief because you put the work in. And I think that's quite important. It's not just creating something in your mind to say, Yes, I think I can win it. It's actually No, 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 exactly. Exactly, uh, exactly. Done, done the I, work first of all, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, if I would have put it in my helmet the first time I raced in Hawaii, then then it's of course not worth to to put it in because it's not possible. But once you, yeah, you you did the work and you know for yourself you can do it, and then then of course you can put it. You can you can put that in your head. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Thank you. Incredible. Um, can we maybe talk briefly about family and relationships? You obviously have a family. You clearly work super hard in training and you have done for a long time. So it's long training hours. You're probably tired quite a lot. You have pressure <laughs> to compete and to get results. How have you managed to find a good balance to make sure that everyone in the family gets, gets what they need, really? Oh, I, I think... Um... Yeah, like my boys, they are 13 and 16 years old now. They mm -hmm. they never knew me. Yeah, like like a normal Not dad who it. goes yeah. yeah who goes to work. And no, I I always yeah. competed uh, from from they were born. So and my wife, um, we we got to know each other in the year 2000, and we married in the end of 2002. So in fact, we we did this all together. So uh, if I didn't have the support of my wife. Uh, my kids, my my whole fam family, my entire family, it wouldn't have worked. So uh, I think it's always really important to uh, yeah to have uh, to have the support from everybody around you, and um, that's that's the thing I I got from the beginning. And it's such a I have a couple of kids, thirteen and um, eight. My two kids are Frederick, and I, I I find that the hardest thing is sometimes that sense of guilt when you're out training, as if you're having fun. But it's not always fun, is it? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, on the other hand, yeah, you know, for me, um, I'm a professional since uh, 2003. And the, the, the one thing that is really great about triathlon is it's an individual sport. And every time I went on a training camp, I always tried to, to make it work that it was in a school holiday. So whenever yeah. I went on a training camp, I was always able to, to involve my family and to go to some nice places and you know, then then it's a lot more doable because you train in good circumstances. But in the meantime, when you are training and they have to, let's say, wait, it's it's more like wait before you go, you get back. Then they also uh, have some some things to discover and some nice places to go to. 
and and that's a big advantage when I compare to, like um, to professional cyclists. Those guys are more on the way with a whole team and have to um, yeah. yeah. They don't decide about their planning all the time, and they have to listen. And you know that's that's a big advantage in an individual sport like a triathlon. You basically you go wherever you want, whenever you want. The only thing you you have to do is is to perform on a couple of days in a year, and that's it. And I guess your family must be super proud of what you've achieved um, in the sport to be world champion. And they've had the chance to see that and be partly involved. That must be an incredible thing to share with them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they they are uh, super proud of it, and and also they they really are a part of of all these performances, and and that's what yeah, let's say is uh is important is um yeah very valuable also uh, also because um then they they realize they are a part of it and uh, they are also proud of it. So. It's 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 a thin line. It's a balance, but on the on the other hand, uh, we we always manage to do it uh, that way, and yeah, it works. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess it probably helps that you're a professional and you have been for all that time. So as effectively, when you go training, you're going to work, and the family can accept yeah. that. Whereas for some other people, they've got a job and they've got their hobby of doing the sport, and then it maybe becomes a bit more uh, guilt laden sometimes. No. That's that's one hundred percent correct because that's the the big advantage when you compare uh, pro triathletes with with um, let's say amateur or age groupers that yeah. that have to train next to their working hours next to the family then it's then you run out of time I guess so if you really want to to perform at a high level if you if you just train and say okay for me if I train like uh, four or five hours a week and I I do this just uh, for the fun then it's okay but if you're really competitive ambitious and you want to combine with work and family it's not an easy thing to do no not at all yeah yeah back to racing frederick you have raced an incredible amount of events you, you've already talked about doing 31 marathons as part of your ironmans as an example so you've done everything from shorter sprints 70.3s full ironman and um, we've talked about you doing some of those halves and you've done this all over the world with all the travel that comes with it but what i'm interested in is what what would you say has been the most important or significant race of your career? Not necessarily one you may have won um, or one you had a great performance in, but the one that's changed something for you. Oh, I would say the the Ironman in Nice in France because uh, it's the first time I was able to win a full Ironman in 2011. And it's also yeah. the one the one I won five times in my career now. So for me, that's that's really the most important one. Uh, the most successful one and it's also uh, an Ironman that has a big reputation it's a hard one and um, yeah let's say that my career is partly built on on my victories over there I also have like um, yeah some some good sponsors out of France you know I live in Belgium but Belgium is like a small yeah. market for for triathletes and it has been really good to for me that also the French people like me. I speak a little bit of French. I'm, I'm, yeah. I was a, I was able to win big races in France, so that helped me a lot during my career, and and still helps me a lot. There must be some French athletes, uh, Frederick, who are uh, pretty disappointed when they see you're on the start <laughs> list for that for that event. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so uh, if I can maybe ask about um, 
what's happening at the moment obviously the lockdown situation happened and it came out of nowhere for all of us um, and it's quite been quite a difficult time it's been a complete shutdown for a lot of countries no travel and almost all races are cancelled or postponed in the main part of the season what would normally be our, our peak part of the season i know you'll have had plans in place for quite a while and goals for the year um, and you're also looking to retire from competition at the end of the year how has this whole situation affected you and, and are you changing things plans for next year or towards the end of the year well um, not really I won't change my plans the thing is I, I announced in 2018 that 2020 would be my my final year my my uh, yeah my end of my career so um, yeah. the thing is I, I chose like seven races to do this year but uh, I'll have to cancel three of them and four. The, the other four are uh, postponed to till the end of the season. So the thing is, I would have started my season in May and now I will only mm. start it in August. But still, we will, uh, I will be able to compete in Ombra in August. Then I will do Sable d'Olon 70.3 in September. Then um, I will do um, a goodbye race, let's say, in my own town, in my hometown in, in Minen here in Belgium. And then my my really last race will, will be Nice Ironman France, who was normally going to happen on 14th of June and now is 11th of October. So in fact, to to be honest, it's it's quite um yeah almost a, a present to me that that Nice is postponed till the end of the year and will be my ultimate race uh, in my career. Well, that, that's quite good, given your, your record and the amount of wins you've had there. So it's, it is a nice place to bow out, I guess, from Ironman. But we've already we've already heard you talk about um, you, you'd planned on doing a marathon um, uh, uh, to follow on. So given that's not going to happen in November this year, have you got one that you'll, you'll target in 2021 to kickstart your marathon career? <laughs> no, I don't think I will do a marathon career, but in the end, I, <laughs> I want to... I want to see what I'm able to do. So maybe I can chase like, uh, I don't know, 235 or maybe 230 if everything goes really well. But we'll see, you know, because um, next year I also plan to uh, to um, yeah, start an education in the army. Um, I'm in the army since 2004 as, a, as an elite sportsman. But of course, when my career ends now, I, I have to choose another function. And uh, my new function in the end of 2021 will be that I will be the responsible for all the yeah, elite sportsmen in, in the Belgian army. But before that, I need to, to become an officer. So uh, 1st of March, I will start my, my education to become officer. And hopefully in the end of 2021, I, uh, yeah, I'm uh, the officer who is uh, responsible for all the, for all the elite sportsmen. Wow, are you excited about the change or Yeah, of course, of course it will be yeah. it will be a new life for me and I'm also happy that I could plan all these things because it's not that easy to uh, of course I'm I'm 41 now but uh, it's still a big change in my life and and you cannot compete till you're you're uh, I, I would say 50 or 60 as a professional triathlete no it's not possible so uh, at some point you need to make a decision and i'm happy i made that decision and um yeah i i will continue in the sport and uh, i think it's yeah it's a good position to be in and uh, i'm looking forward to that yeah and do you think it'll be possible for you to physically not get up early in the morning and head to the pool <laughs> uh, i think it's yeah, gonna take I'm some getting used I'm, to I'm, 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 yeah i'm not sure but i think i can do it yeah <laughs> so i i was um 
I was going to say, it sounds like you'll still be heavily involved, but more outside the pool, um, coaching the guys rather than inside it with them. Yeah. Um, mm. So obviously you're going to be very involved in the sport going forward and quite influential in, in Belgium by the sounds of it. Yeah, um, that's that's something I will I will try to do to continue as a coach in triathlon. That's something I do right now with online coaching with some triathletes here. But uh, in the end, when I will be responsible for the elite sportsmen in the army, it's not only triathlon. There's there's plenty of sports. There's uh, people in judo. There's people in gymnastics and swimming and in all kinds of sports. And, and it's really the, the position I'm in is to help them to get yeah, through that life uh, of a, a professional sportsman. Whatever the sport is like, it's, it's, yeah, it's always performing at the highest level. The pressure, the the sponsored things, all those kind of things. It's it's my yeah experience that I will try to use uh, to help those younger athletes. In fact, it sounds like a dream job to to get yeah, into. <laughs> that's what I think as well. <laughs> Outstanding, and um, Frederick, this has been for me a fascinating conversation. Um, just the, the the dedication and work it takes to do this this particular sport. So thank you so much. Um, before you go, Paul and I have what we call our fast twitch questions to ask mm-hmm. you. So you don't have to explain your answer. You just have to give us an either or answer. We'll give you two choices. Okay. Um, and you just have to pick which one you prefer. So no pressure. Okay. Um, Mike Wardian, <laughs> Mike Wardian timed himself last week. Okay. Um, he was so determined to be fast. So let's see how we okay. got on. So I'll, I'll go first and then Paul, Paul will ask question two and we've got 10 to okay. ask. So question one, pizza or pasta? Pasta. Cycle or run? Run. Philosophy or psychology? Psychology. Comedy or drama? Comedy. The sea or the pool? The sea. Music or books? Music. Lion or tiger? Tiger. Hope or optimism? Optimism. Jacques Brel or Salvatore Adamo? <laughs> Salvatore Adamo, a Belgian. <laughs> Try suit or wetsuit? Oh, trisuit. Trisuit every time. Okay, thank you so much, Frederick. I think we'll wrap it up there and let you get back to your evening. Uh, where can people find out more about you or just follow what you're doing? Is it somewhere on social media or your website? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, my website is frederickvanleerde.com and then uh, you will see social media is on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all with my name or uh, some abbreviation of my name. So uh, you will see. Yeah, you might see some strange-looking ultra-running people start following you, Frederick. Don't don't get too okay. concerned about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, be, no, no, no. <laughs> they'll just be interested uh, to find out more about you. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We hope it was good for you too, and we wish you all the very best for the rest of the year and whatever you decide to do next. If it is running and you're marathon, then please come back on at some point and let us know how yeah. it's all going. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to know more if that's possible. So thank you very much, James. Frederick, thank you so much. It has been amazing speaking to you. You take care. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, uh, Paul and James. It was great. Thanks. So that was Frederick. What a privilege it was for us. Not only one of the hardest working and most competitive athletes on the planet, but really warm and engaging too. I loved the little nuggets he mentioned about belief the writing he added to his helmet going into what turned out to be his world title in Kona. 
he really believed he could win and the training that he did and the tests he pushed himself through brought that belief to life. So if you want to tap into the power of belief, you could start with some of the following things. You could start to picture your success. So that's about creating a mental picture or video of yourself succeeding. Now really getting into the detail, what would you see if you were successfully achieving your goal? How would you speak? What would you hear? Neuroscience suggests that the brain doesn't differentiate between reality and fiction, so visualisations can be a really powerful tool. You can also be much more aware of your inner talk and conversations. We've already talked about this before in series one, Kaz talked about it too. How do you speak to yourself when no one else is listening? Be aware of your self-talk and limiting beliefs that you carry and maybe you can start to question if the words are really true. The voice of your inner critic can be especially harsh and cutting and it's usually overactive and inaccurate. If you think that you're a failure or useless, ask yourself what evidence is there to support the thought that I am a failure? And also ask yourself what evidence is there that shows I am far from being a failure? Outcomes are never guaranteed and just one race or one session or one season not going to plan doesn't make you a failure. And then you should also take some time to celebrate success. Take some time to acknowledge the things that you do well each day and each week. We get hung up on comparison with other people and with unrealistic goals. We can't all do 35 hours of training like Frederick does, but we can show up every day we have a session to do and we can decide to make the right choices to support our athletic and our life goals. And we must acknowledge when we have put the work in and more positivity and celebration generates more of that in return. And finally, find your tribe. It's hard doing everything on your own. Look at Frederick. He has a supportive team of people around him and he has done for such a long time. Remember, we're influenced by most of the people around us and if they have no ambition, goals or self-belief, it's going to have an impact on you. Spend time with people who raise you up, who inspire you, who push you to be better and let go of the people who hold you back or put you down. Don't let negativity linger. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment and share it on social media. You could take a screen grab and tag us in with your favourite quote or takeaway from the episode. We'd love to see some of that on Instagram stories or any of your social media channels. Huge thanks to Compre Sport for supporting the series. Compre Sport creates some of the very best technical performance running and multi-sport clothing. The designs and the fabrics are always evolving as the apparel is pushed to its limits by some of the best endurance athletes in the world. People like Frederick. You can check out the latest kit at compresport.com. We'll be back soon with more of these conversations on living the ultra life where we'll talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I'm Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart. And you've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod.